Welcome to Historical Jesus. I'm Mark Vinette. The four canonical Gospels have been a primary source of information about Jesus Christ for 2,000 years. But in recent times, some skeptics have said they were written so late after Jesus, they aren't reliable. Christian apologist Jimmy Aiken finds out what tradition, church teaching, and historical sources tell about when the Gospels were really written. If Acts was written around AD 59, does that let us establish anything about when the other Gospels were written? Well, it's widely recognized today that Luke, like Matthew, used Mark as one of his sources. Luke even refers to prior written sources in his prologue, telling his patron Theophilus that many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things which have been accomplished among us. That's Luke 1.1. He thus alludes to previous writers, the people who have already compiled narratives about Jesus. And the fact that Mark was one of those narratives is confirmed by the fact that Luke uses about 55% of the material in Mark. More than half of Mark's gospel ends up in Luke in one form or another. This means that we can place the composition of Mark sometime before that of Luke. And can we estimate how much before? To assess that, we need to know a little bit about Mark's life story. We first meet Mark in Acts 12.12, when Peter visits the house of Mark's mother in Jerusalem. In Acts 12.25, Barnabas and Paul take Mark with them when they return from Jerusalem to their home base in Antioch. In the next chapter, the Holy Spirit calls Barnabas and Paul to embark on the first missionary journey, and they take Mark with them. However, we learn that Mark turned back early in the journey. He didn't complete the first missionary journey with them. Thus, when Paul and Barnabas were preparing to set out for the second missionary journey, they got in a fight. Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp contention so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And Barnabas probably felt more sympathetic to Mark than Paul because he was his cousin. Barnabas was kind of looking out for him. But the conclusion is Paul and Barnabas dissolved their partnership, which had gone on for years, over the dispute about Mark. And Barnabas then took Mark on an otherwise unrecorded missionary journey to Barnabas's native island of Cyprus. We know from the New Testament that Mark later formed a close bond with Peter, and Peter referred to him as his spiritual son who was with him during his ministry in Rome. That's mentioned in 1 Peter 5.13. And we even learn in 2 Timothy that Paul eventually reconciled with Mark. So Mark eventually proved himself in Paul's eyes, and Paul came to respect him. Can we put dates to some of these events in Mark's life? The part of Mark's biography that's important for our purposes is the period he spent with Peter. We don't know precisely when this occurred, but the journey that Mark took with Barnabas to the island of Cyprus would have occurred in A.D. 49, and it may have taken some time because missionary journeys could last several years. Mark thus likely became a companion of Peter in the A.D. 50s. This is significant because the first century Jewish source, John the Presbyter, reveals that Mark based his gospel on Peter's reminiscences. He's reported to have said, Mark, having become the interpreter of Peter, wrote down accurately, though not in order, whatsoever he remembered of the things said or done by Christ. For he neither heard the Lord nor followed him, 
But afterward, as I said, he followed Peter, who adapted his teaching to the needs of his hearers, but with no intention of giving a connected account of the Lord's discourses, so that Mark committed no error while he thus wrote some things as he remembered them. For he was careful of one thing, not to omit any of the things which he had heard, and not to state any of them falsely. If Mark didn't become Peter's traveling companion until the 50s, and if he had to have written before Luke was published in 59, then that would mean that Mark must have written his gospel sometime in that decade. Although Mark likely had heard Peter preach in Jerusalem before he became his companion, John the Presbyter ties the composition of his gospel to the period when he was serving as Peter's assistant. We thus should understand his gospel to be based not just on Mark's memories of Peter's preaching from years earlier, but on what he heard during the period of mutual ministry. We should thus allow some time, first, for Mark to absorb or reabsorb Peter's preaching, and second, some time for Mark's gospel to come into Luke's hands after it was written. We can therefore estimate that Mark's gospel was written sometime in the mid-50s, say, around the year A.D. 55. And what about the Gospel of Matthew? The evidence suggests that Matthew was written after Mark, but it's more difficult to pin down exactly when Matthew may have been written. Scholars generally agree that St. Ignatius of Antioch knew about Matthew's Gospel because when he wrote his letters, St. Ignatius made more than one reference to things that are only found in Matthew. His letters were written about A.D. 108, so Matthew's gospel would need to have been composed sometime in the first century. On the other hand, Matthew was written after Mark, and that means after about A.D. 55, so we could establish an initial broad range for Matthew between A.D. 55 and 100. Can we narrow that down? I think so, because there is internal evidence in the gospel that it was written before the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. For a start, when Jesus talks about the destruction of the Jerusalem temple in Matthew 24, it's all presented as being in the future. Matthew never includes a note that says anything like, and it all came to pass just like Jesus had said it would. But that's exactly the kind of thing that Matthew would be inclined to do if the Romans had already destroyed the Jerusalem temple when he wrote his gospel. In fact, Matthew's gospel is known more than any of the others for including notices about fulfilled prophecies. So if Jesus' prophecy about the temple had come true when Matthew was writing, we would expect him to include a note about it. And there are other elements in the text that point in this direction. For example, in the midst of predicting the destruction of the temple, Matthew records Jesus as saying, Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. It's well known that the Christian community in Jerusalem did flee the Jewish war, taking up residence in the Jordanian settlement of Pella. And like all ancient authors, Matthew was conscious of the need to save space in his book so that it would fit on a single scroll because scrolls were fantastically expensive. A single copy of Matthew would have cost hundreds or thousands of dollars in modern money. He thus regularly drops words and phrases from Mark to shorten it for just this reason. So why would Matthew preserve this exhortation for Jewish Christians to pray that their flight not take place in the winter or on a Sabbath when travel would be difficult if their flight had already occurred and the need to pray no longer existed? We would expect him to drop that out. 
Furthermore, after talking about the destruction of the temple, Matthew has Jesus giving a series of parables about the end of the world, mostly in Matthew 25. That could lead some readers to mistakenly think that the end of the world would occur just after the destruction of the temple. That's another sign that Matthew was written before this happened, because if it were after, then he would clearly distinguish the material about the destruction of the temple and the material about the end of the world so that the reader wouldn't confuse these two events. Then there are passages in Matthew that assume the temple is still standing and that provide information that would only be useful to Matthew's readers if it were still functioning. Historian James Early of the Key Battles of America podcast recently sent me this wonderful message saying, I just wanted to let you know, Mark, that I am a completist. I have listened to all episodes of Historical Jesus. That's great, James. Welcome to the club. Have you listened to every episode of this podcast series? If so, let me know and your name will be added to the Historical Jesus List of Honor at patreon.com slash markvinette. Did you know that word of mouth is the best way to grow a podcast? It helps us expand our audience by getting us more notice and keeps us going and growing. So please, folks, spread the word to family and friends. Don't forget, You can find pictures related to this and other episodes on all my social media accounts using the links provided in the show notes. I'm Mark Vinette. Thank you for sharing your time with me. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body which decreases as we age. Taking Calitrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calitrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply. And this week, take advantage of their President's Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word HISTORY to the code 30605 and we'll send you a link to this special offer. Again, text history that's H I S T O R Y using the code 30605.